Marvelites, you're listening to Marvel's Pull List for comics, some of them new, released on July 2020. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Tucker Marcus. Tucker, we are in the midst of a heat wave here on the East Coast in New York, New Jersey area. Where are you in Jersey yet? Are you still in Brooklyn or Queens? I'm still in Queens. Still in Queens. I was. I was. I went out to the old Shangri-La itself, New Jersey, for uh, about a week. But now I'm back in Queens, just sitting right next to my box fan. Oh, you don't have air conditioning? <laughs> I remember those days. Yeah. I had my apartment in Greenpoint. Uh, I didn't have air conditioning and that was just the pits. Oh gosh. Uh, but the great thing is we have air conditioning in my current house in my current apartment, but you can't run the microwave and two of, <laughs> you can't run the microwave and an air conditioner on at the same time. Yeah. And you can't run two of the mic, the air conditioners on at the same time because New York city, Yeah, that's how it is. We have a whole bunch of great new comics to talk about this week, as well as a wonderful chat and a reading club with Russell Dodderman, artist of Mighty Thor and so many comics. Uh, in that, we're going to be talking about Generation X, but we're going to get to that after our new comics. Tucker, what is up first? The first new book coming out this week is Amazing Spider-Man number 45. It's written by Nick Spencer with pencils by Mark Bagley, inks by John Dell with Andy Owens, colors by David Curiel, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. Um, you know, every single time I open up a, an Amazing Spider-Man issue and I see the name Mark Bagley on there, I get excited. Um, I, you know, it could be any character, uh, the any villain, anything going on in here, but you just put Spidey and Bagley together, it's magic. Um, it really is every single time. Uh, and that's what uh, uh, we get in uh, buckets in this uh, issue, um, which is the start of uh, the Sins Rising story, which is something that has we've been building to for a little bit and um uh ryan you and i got to talk to peter david who uh, uh was the writer of the death of gene de wolf which is where um i think readers uh, first met sin eater and uh it, it this is a very very fascinating take on the character it's so grounded um, but in that way, it feels so threatening because there's a logic to the Sin Eater, um, which feels very human. But it is a um, it's a it's an it's a, a, a wrong logic in a way. Uh, you know, that's what makes him the, the supervillain of this story. But the fact that it's there, the fact that he kind of has that humanity to him makes him all the more terrifying to me um i'm also you know i'm always a sucker for this kind of throwdown a spidey versus a very um human a very kind of in the back alleys of new york type um foe uh and so you get some really awesome like crunching uh moments uh when they throw down uh and then of course it being brought to you by mark bagley is just what makes it uh you know just puts it over the top uh I'm, i just continue to be so impressed by nick spencer's run on amazing spidey um you see the ebbs and flows of this story in terms of what he's been planning clearly for so long 
the big story arcs that he's wanted to hit on, the way that he ramps into them, I think is is a real strength of his. Um, uh, to have so much going on at, at, at one time, uh, uh, but make it feel so organic and so straightforward, but also you know beautifully complex in in, in all the great ways you would you would want, um, is just wonderful. And I'm uh, you know much like the hunted story arc, much like so much of what we've seen before in Amazing Spider-Man. Um, I'm so, so excited for this kind of big focus on, on Sin Eater. I think it's a really, really, you know, it's another really excited, exciting time for ASM. Heck yeah. Uh, all right. Up next is Cable number two. Very glad that this book is back. It is written by Jerry Duggan, art by Phil Noto, letters by VCs Joe Sabino. Um, like, all right, I, Jerry and Phil together, that's. That's the good stuff. We're going to be talking about another wonderful team up that Jerry does this week uh, a little bit later. But this one, the thing about this cable book is it's got a like a wry sense of humor to it that is really welcome when you talk about cable because cable's like, I love cable, one of my favorite characters, but every cable series is oh so serious and everything's got such weight to it. <laughs> but this one has that, but it's, there's also like really funny, you know, moments to it, some cute moments, some dark moments, some uh, like uh, quirky, almost black humor to it here and there. Uh, it's got some um, Galadorian space knights. So that's cool if you're a fan of those characters and the, their origins with the Micronauts and stuff. Um, it's uh, got it's got this great panel of Emma, uh, Emma Frost coming in from a gate, uh, one of the Krakoan gates, and she's wearing a white pantsuit. And I look at it, I'm like, Phil Noto is a friggin' wizard. This is such beautiful comic books here. It's so cool. The way he draws Emma and, and the cuckoos and every like everything. I we could we should why aren't we having Phil on the show? We need to yeah, get what? Phil on the show. Producers, <laughs> make it happen. I will warn everyone right now, it could turn into me and Phil talking about mid nineties hardcore <laughs> because that's what most of our conversations tend to be, but I digress. Uh, there's also uh, one of my favorite things in this book has Cyclops trying to figure out what Cable's up to and he goes and he, he ends up in Philadelphia and there um, he's talking to some detectives and the detectives say to Cyclops, um, hold on, he says... Welcome to Philly. Why don't you treat yourself to a cheesesteak before you walk into those wedding gazebo things you guys planted all over the place? Next page. It's Cyclops in uh, on their like the summer house, which is on the moon. He is sitting at a table. He has got a giant cheesesteak in his hands. And if you look closely, his tongue is uh, outside his mouth and he's licking his lips and he's just about to tuck into a big cheesesteak. That is my favorite version of Cyclops. <laughs> All right, we're moving on uh, now from Cable over to Captain Marvel number 18, uh, which is written by Kelly Thompson with pencils by Corey Smith, inks by Adriana DiBenedetto, colors by Tom Rabonvillain, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. Um, we are in the thick of Empire business here uh, with issue number 18. And... As if we needed a reminder of how incredibly um, Kelly Thompson can write cosmic stuff. Uh, uh, I don't think it's a reminder anyone really needed, as if anyone ever forgot. But, oh man, the scale of this story, 
the way that it resonates for Carol on a personal level, its impact on uh, everything from the Fantastic Four to the Avengers to Hulkling uh, is so cool. I think just from the very start of the basic premise of what Empire is about the Kree, the Skrull, the Kotati, where Earth is kind of placed in the midst of all of it, um, that bare premise begs that Carol Danvers is involved in a really big way, given her Cree connections, given her the revelations about her mother, who's Cree. Um, uh, and this book just capitalizes on all of that so, so wonderfully. Um, it's, uh, you know, if, if none of that was enough to convince you that this is such an excellent start to a, a, a story I'm so excited to read more of, to see how this all continues to evolve and change, not just the Empire stuff, but Carol herself, um, it's, you know, Carol the Accuser, essentially. It's Captain Marvel with the universal weapon, which is running the Accuser's former hammer um and it's just so badass it's so cool there's so many awesome moments in here um that i think just so so land there i don't know what it is there's just something where you open a book and you feel the impact of the choices made inside there on a visceral level and that is totally what i got here this is one of those for me of like if you're reading empire if you're picking out you know which tie-in books which parts of the story you're most fascinated by you want to dig into most i can't recommend this this side of things enough um it's so cool i think it just wonderfully combines everything that's come in the first 17 issues of uh this captain marvel run which has been a ton uh with some just very core straightforward carol danvers elements which are just awesome yeah, uh, we got a lot more Empire to get through, continuing now with Empire number three, which is written by Al Ewing and Dan Slott, art by Valeria Schiti, colors by Marte Gracia, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. Uh, just, this is a big old fight issue of, like, developing stuff. There's a rad double-page splash with Thing and a bunch of uh, agents of Wakanda fighting back the Kotati. It's big and, like, exciting. I love the way Valerio draws the Thing. Uh, it's a lot of fun. There's a cool Hulkling uh, Black Panther moment in here, which I know is going to play out a little bit further. And it's just like the way that they characterize Hulkling sort of dip, being a diplomat of sorts with Black Panther and sort of understanding like, okay, Black Panther, T'Challa, I know he's fine. Here, do the, I, you got this. Like, it, there's just something fun about it. Uh, Mantis shows back up. We know she is a big part of sort of the original story that inspired a lot of this. And uh, the panel in which she first appears is a vibe. She looks so cool the way she's positioned. Everything about that shot looks awesome. Uh, exciting to see her back in the fold. And then a big whoa at the end. Uh, our next Empire book this week is Empire Captain America number one. It's written by Philip Kennedy Johnson with art by Ariel Olivetti, colors by Rochelle Rosenberg, and letters by VCs Ariana Mar with Joe Caramagna. Um, this was one that kind of took me by surprise in a, in a lot of ways. Uh, I uh, was not expecting this kind of story from uh this book you know uh given the avengers 
uh, level of involvement in this story, given everything that we've read so far in Empire Avengers, uh, everything that we know is set to come. In this issue, we get a pretty personal story from a couple of uh, uh, a couple of regular guys who are who are soldiers, uh, and uh, getting that perspective on things is one is something I I love to see uh, 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 Marvel writers take on. Uh, it's so so fun, and this one is uh, it doesn't pull any punches. It's it's really really interesting. It's really excellent. I think it has a a perfect command of caps uh, measured approach to things uh, which is really really interesting i think that's a lot of what you know makes the tension here it's kind of a slow burn but then when it goes it really goes overall i was super impressed by the story yeah, some top-notch Ariel olivetti art has been one of my oh, favorite yeah. artists for 20 years so good uh what i think is really interesting about this one is uh, because philip kennedy johnson is a soldier. So you have a soldier writing what, as you described, like a very personal story. Uh, you get a good POV because it's a, you can imagine uh, Philip Kennedy Johnson, I'm like thinking, okay, what would it be like to meet Captain America? Like there's one dude who's like, yes, Captain America. And one's <laughs> like, chill out, dude, fucking Captain America. It's like, great. <laughs> you, you can see all this stuff. Um, yeah. Johnson is like, uh, I think he's a uh, sergeant first class in the U.S. Army. Um, I, he's a great follow on Twitter. He's, um, he's his resume is, is wild, is huge. He's doing um, that Marvel Zombies book, which I know I've read the first issue of, and it's a horror show, like really <laughs> messed up and horrifying, and it's great. Uh, the other thing about this tie-in as well as captain marvel which you've mentioned and the next book empire savage avengers they are all great stories for their whatever character or team or whatever it is and then they're also excellent empire tie-ins so you're getting a great captain america story that also happens to be something really cool tying into this big event going on right now you know especially if you're a savage avengers fan reading empire savage avengers written by jerry duggan art by greg smallwood letters by vcs travis lanham you are getting the furthering of conan's story uh alongside bringing venom back into things while also getting them involved in everything that's going on in the Marvel universe right now with the Kotati. Uh, my first uh, note that I wrote to myself for this issue was F yeah. I was just like, this <laughs> is awesome. It's Conan in Mexico city, watching some Lucha Libre, eating some street food, getting into fights. Then you throw in big monsters. Then you throw in venom. Uh, you've got venom driving a truck. And if anybody out there knows the Spider-Man animated series from the 90s, there's a bit with Venom driving a truck down like a, a bridge or a highway, which is one of my favorite gifts. And it's just him like like honking. And it is reminded me so much of that. I love it. I should have asked Jerry about that uh, when I was texting with him. But I did tell Jerry that he and Greg Smallwood should team up forever. I know. That's one of those things. Like we've talked about it on the show before of – Jer the like Jerry Duggan stable of artists and this kind of, whether it's like Juan Ferreira who who I who did that they've worked they worked on more of the realm stuff together um but uh or it's Smallwood or you know like you mentioned before Phil Noto on it, it's just it is a it's a damn pleasure every single yeah, time it, Jerry even said that like their collaboration is so good 
that Greg, there's a bit in here where Conan is like knocked out and sort of dreaming of something. And I won't spoil it, but that was Greg. That was Greg putting that together. And they're gelling so much that they just keep like elevating each other's work. Uh, And one last thing I want to shout out is Greg's color palette here because it is something special. Oh, yeah. All right. Next up, we go from Empire over to Iron Man 2020. This is issue number five. It's written by Dan Slott and Christos Gage with art by Pete Woods and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. Uh, Something that I've seen Dan Slott talk very passionately um, on social media about before is um, the idea of putting your characters through difficult moments and sometimes fans can have a very visceral reaction to that and say why are you doing this you hate this character you only you know do bad things to them you only you know make them feel pain you all that kind of stuff um which i understand that reaction but dan's uh argument something he's talked about a lot is um no you do that actually because you love them you do that because you you in order to hit the highs you really need to hit the lows those are just as important they're in uh, kind of um in concert with each other that brings me to iron man 2020 number five because we have definitely hit the lows in terms of where tony stark has been in the story uh everything that has gone on in going back to tony stark iron man uh the series that preceded iron man 2020 everything that's gone on with arno uh, essentially, really everyone in Tony's uh, kind of entire circle, um, professionally, socially, uh, there's been a lot going on in this story. Um, but like I said, when you hit the lows, you hit the highs, uh, and you really get some awesome, just made me cackle in delight moments in here. I don't want to talk too much about what um that means in terms of story uh but there's some great twists and turns in here that i really enjoyed some really wild wonderful design work by pete woods which i think is so so great um should not go uh unmentioned uh there are only a couple issues uh in the iron man 2020 kind of side of the universe uh left to go right now it has been quite a journey we only have uh, i wolverine number two and uh, iron man 2020 number six Uh, left to go in this story but what a journey it's been and this is a major turning point uh in the overall story yeah uh speaking of journeys we go on one with uh the cast of spider-man noir number two written by margaret stoll art by juan ferreira letters by vcs travis lanham oh man i i love this story i love this book (laughs) margie she nails the detective noir interior monologue vibe so so well it it feels like you know if this was a story if they turn this into a movie but the movie was like unearthed and it was you know made 80 years ago 70 years ago uh it would be like oh yeah 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 it's this is this is a relic from that time in the best way um this book rules and then juan's depiction of spider sense is like this full spider symbol shape around peter's head not just the squiggly lines um and i don't think i've ever seen that before i really really dig it it's just a it's a little subtle thing um we've talked at length about Wands work um many many times and it's it never fails uh this book has plane rides and boat rides and mysteries and sneaking around and a version of electro which I could probably cosplay as, which is pretty cool. (laughs) 
Coming up next this week, we have an issue that I loved a ton. It's Star Wars Darth Vader number three. It's written by Greg Pak with art by Rafaela Yenko, uh, colors by Niraj Manon, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. Uh, a little while back now, I had the um, great fortune to sit down with Greg Pak and talk about all the stuff to come uh, in uh, this Darth Vader series because I'm such a huge fan of pretty much everything that Greg does. Uh, I think his uh, run on the Star Wars main series before um, the kind of post-Empire Strikes Back shift was incredible. Uh, I thought it was so, so great. Uh, and this issue really starts to dig into the finer details of the remit of this story, which is essentially, uh, if you haven't picked it up yet, it's essentially post-Empire Strikes Back Darth Vader. Darth Vader, who has had this revelatory moment with Luke Skywalker, with his son where his son rejects him. And so the idea of uh, these first few issues has been Darth Vader going literally through his past. Uh, and sometimes he's taking a saber to it, and sometimes he is dealing with it in uh, more emotional terms. But uh, this issue, uh, we start out and we journey back to Naboo. Uh, it is, for prequel fans, a feast. So many fun moments, uh, uh, so many... Uh, really emotional moments that I thought were perfectly handled. There's great stuff in uh, in this. I don't want to talk too much about where they go, what they encounter, but I'll just say the sense of scale that Rafael Yenko uh, manages to capture here I think is really, really excellent. Um, there's just great stuff all around here. Uh, yeah, if you're a fan of episode one in particular, uh, I think you should be really excited about this book. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's swing over to Symbiote Spider-Man Alien Reality number five, written by Peter David, pencils by Greg Land, inks by Jay Leiston, colors by Frank D'Armada, and letters by VCs Joe Sabino. This is the final issue of this limited series. Uh, what I was not expecting in this book was this an interesting discussion on God and religion, of all things, between Spider-Man and Doctor Strange, and then Nightmare, and how they talk about it. Like, it's just really clear and, and makes a lot of sense and um i really enjoyed that bit of, of across all of it uh it is a satisfying wrap-up and a story that what i wasn't expecting at all again was something that adds something potentially to the marvel universe the prime marvel universe because this has been this alternate sort of alternate reality twisty turny timey wimey tale where we maybe get something at the end uh, that who knows where, where if and when, where we'll see it, but I'm excited for that. And then it, we get uh, a last page, big text, Symbiote Spider-Man will return. And I would advise anyone reading this to look right next to the word return and what is there and uh, feels very, very ominous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, all right, we're moving on now to a big one this week, one that I know a lot of people have been waiting a long time for with bated breath, with a lot of excitement. It's X-Factor number one. It is written by Leah Williams with art by David Baldion, colors by Israel Silva, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. Um, before we even talk about the story, that creative team um, is really a dream connection for me. I 
am such a massive fan of Leah Williams. I think it's about time that uh, her entry into the world of Dawn of X uh, has arrived. Uh, and not just that, but Leah's connection with David Baldion. They did a great Gwenpool book together, which I uh, really loved. I thought it was so much fun. Um, and then just to have David Baldion's art style uh, injected into everything that's going on with the X-Men right now, I think is so much fun. And I don't think there could be a more perfect book in it. And I'm really kind of stunned at the possibilities of where this can go. I was so impressed with this first issue. Ryan, I know you were a, a, a big, big fan. Yeah, this we're, we're not doing, you know, like our picks of the week right now. Like we've been <laughs> sort of slow on that just because there's not a ton of books and, and everything that's going on. But like if I had to pick one book, this would be one of my picks of the week without question. This book rules so much. David's fashion, like Rachel's pants. I was like, man, that's a choice. And I love it. And it looks so cool. Uh, we've got, you know, you sort of pulls on a thread that was uh, from Excalibur with um, one of the Warwolves, and then the name that it's given in this is so good. Uh, getting to see more of the five, sort of like the the group of mutants that's responsible for uh, the resurrection of all the mutants is so cool. Seeing Dokken in a role where like he's multifaceted and awesome and so cool, and he's like using his pheromone powers and he's flirting and it's, this book is so wonderfully gay in so many cool ways. And like everything about this book rules so much great dynamics and dialogue. Ugh, read this book. It's awesome. Uh, also awesome is our last new book of the week, which is X-Men number 10 written by Jonathan Hickman art by Laniel Francis, Yu, colors by Sonny go letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. Um, and like I was talking about earlier with, you know, because this is an Empire tie-in. I don't need, I, we don't, full disclosure, we don't get the covers when we get our books because we get them ahead of time and we just get um, digital versions that are just the interiors, not even all the ads or like there's some pages that are just blank in ours. And so I don't know what the cover to this looks like offhand. I'm assuming it says Empire tie-in uh, because it is a big old Empire tie-in, but at the same time, it moves the Summers family and the Krakoan story and the X-Men forward so much that it is that first and foremost, while also being a really great Empire tie-in. Uh, this one in particular features uh, Vulcan, who is the third Summers brother, Gabriel Summers. Um, and then it also features two characters who were introduced at the same time as Gabriel, Sway and Petra, uh, they were introduced in the X-Men Deadly Genesis storyline, but they died in that first story. So for a second, I was reading this. I was like, wait, who are these two? And it took me a minute and I was like, oh, of yes, of course they have been resurrected back with him. And like this whole thing, uh, this ties into X-Men Deadly Genesis, but also ties into War of Kings and like bigger cosmic stuff that has happened with all these characters. This is like creepy, weird Hickman. Like getting out, like rolling up his sleeves and being like, you want, you want something weird? I'm gonna give you some weird. And then he gets Laniel to draw just some nightmare looking creatures, some really cool stuff. It is, it reminds me at times of what Jonathan was doing in the lead up to Secret Wars with all the, the stuff with like the, a lot of the cosmic-y weird stuff, pulling some of those threads. It's really neat. Um, it's not a necessary tie-in for Empire, 
but it is something I highly like recommend so, so much. Book ruled. Yeah, I totally agree. I loved it too. Um, so that's what we have for new individual issues this week. We also have new collections out this week in both print and digital. Coming to you uh, in print, we have Avengers Epic Collection, This Beachhead Earth, uh, Avengers Live, Career, Die, Marvel Team-Up Masterworks Volume 5, Marvelverse Captain America, Ms. Marvel Meets the Marvel Universe, Spider-Verse, Spider-Zero, and Star Wars The Rise of Kylo Ren. And then digitally, we have Avengers Thunderbolts Volume 1, The Nefaria Protocols, Avengers Thunderbolts Volume 2, Best Intentions. We have Kill Raven. We have Marvel Action Spider-Man Book 4, Venom, and Marvel's Adventures Iron Man Volumes 1 and 2, that is Heart of Steel and Iron Armory. And, of course, there's some new issues on Marvel Unlimited this week. Uh, some Dawn of X stuff, uh, Atlantis Attacks number one. And I think the big one in here for this week is the first issue of the current Guardians of the Galaxy series, uh, which is really, really cool. So if you missed out on that one, uh, you can dig in. And we're only, I don't know, two or three issues ahead in uh, what's been released. So um, you can jump in and, and get right on board to it. New issues coming real soon. Go feast your eyes on some Juan Cabal. Go do it. Kabbalah maniacs know what's up. But those <laughs> are uh, issues that are uh, hitting our services and our releases this week. We also, as mentioned at the top of the show, have a great conversation with artist Russell Dodderman. He of Mighty Thor fame and a book that we're going to talk a bit about with him, the giant size X-Men, Jean Grey and Emma Frost book. Uh, and plenty more. So let's go now and chat with Russell Dodderman. Russell, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, I say welcome to the show, but we kind of sort of had you on previously because we we did a whole episode around uh, War of the Realms and we used some of the conversations that you and I had with uh, Matt and Jason from 12 years ago. When was that? When did we... It feels like it felt like that. It oh my feels gosh, like so long ago. Um, but it's great, and uh, we're really psyched to have you on the show. Yeah, I'm really happy to be here, especially to talk about um, this series. Yeah, well, that, yeah. I think that's a perfect thing. Like, um, this was your pick. Why did you pick uh, the first arc of Generation X? Well, I mean, the X Men have always been my favorite. You know, fictional anything. And uh, I feel like most X fans have their class of mutants, you know, the kids that they grew up with, whether it's the new mutants or Gen X or the Academy X kids. And for me, it was Generation X. I was uh, nine years old when the series came out and it was the first series that I ever collected every issue of, you know, I have the collector's preview and all the crossovers and those um, amazing Jim Mafood special yes. uh, issues. And, you know, I just, I just love the series. And I actually have a, um, a Generation X poster that uh, Chris Pachala did hanging over my desk right now. So yeah, I loved it. It was really influential for me. That rules. I also got to say, I have stock in everything that we at the uh, wonderful House of Ideas does, but I wasn't involved in the, the Jason, Matt, Russell conversation that you guys were mentioning before. I got to say, for listeners who are tuning in who maybe didn't hear that, go back and listen to the whole thing. 
one of the best interviews I've ever heard. It was so interesting, so insightful. And I got to say, you know, that's the kind of big thing that one of the many big things that I was most excited to probe your mind about Russell today was just that collaboration between you three. And it's something that I think you could feel in the interview. Well, I'm glad that interview was at all coherent <laughs> because I thought I was just babbling the whole time. So thank you. But we've, I mean, the three of us have been, uh, we're working together for a long time. So, you know, it didn't actually meet until, you know, we wrapped up the Jane Foster Thor I'm run. That is insane. I had met Matt before, um, but not Jason until, you know, we were done. Can you talk a little bit more about that, Russell? Like, what's that like? You guys work together to put what has got to be one of the greatest kind of modern classic comics that Marvel has done in the last couple of decades. Is is there a difference between like the, the Russell and Jason pre-meeting and then the Russell and Jason like, oh, yeah, we've like shaken hands now when that was a thing and we've like talked to each other face to face or is it really kind of all the same? I mean, I think it's all the same, but I, it was pretty much just email for years. Um, but it, yeah, insane. it felt normal, you know, just hanging out. He's very nice and very cool. So he made it easy. I, I want the three of you to like reunite for a book, but also to go to Disney world together because Jason's such a big <laughs> Disney World fan, obviously, when things are open again. But, like, I just there's, like, this wholesomeness that I can see the three of you and, like, the jovialness and the sweetness of that collaboration. I just imagine Jason, like, the three of you holding hands going down Main Street. It warms my heart. I mean, I mean let's make that happen. I would, I would love to do it. So the call is out to Jason and Matt. Yeah, find a way to get Marvel to pay for it. If they got, if they paid for me and Jason to get tattoos, surely we can get them to pay for uh, for y'all to go to Disney World together for another. Hey, book. I'm ready. <laughs> um, you know, we're, we're talking about Generation X on this episode, and for me, um, the Chris Pachalo art is I, I, Chris and uh, Mark because like it's the mm-hmm. two of them together is such a magical combination and like i hadn't read this stuff in probably a decade or two it's been a long time and number four we'll get to this number four was something that is like one of my favorites of the whole run and it's so good and it reminds me of so many things but you talked about chris's work and being influential on you who are some of the other most influential artists on on you uh, I mean, Chris was the first big one. I mean, that he was the first artist that I remember you know, knowing the name of and following him, you know, to other books. Uh, Frank Quitely is huge for me. Um, if you've read the giant size um, X-Men, Gene and Emma, I think you know that he's a, a <laughs> big deal for me. Um, Olivier Corpel, I love. Uh, when I was younger, Joe Matarero was like it. I loved all of his X-Men stuff. Yeah, I'd say those are the big ones. Also, um, Bruce Timm from Batman the Animated Series. That whole style was really influential. I don't know if that, I doubt that shows through at all, but I, that's when I doodle. Like when I'm just absentmindedly doodling, that's kind of what it looks like. Oh, that's, that's so cool. I, I, I feel like I could totally see that. Oh, cool. It's the kind of cleanliness of the lines, you know what I mean? Yeah, like an animation feel, I think, is what right. I'm going for a lot of the time with clean lines and yeah. 
you know, the simpler colors. Yeah, I think of, you know, when I look at Chris's work in this, uh, in, at this time period, I also see a lot of Arthur Adams influences on, on Chris's style and like the sort of the detail, which is something that Tucker and I have talked about at length on the show of like the amazing intricate detail that you put into, into your work. Uh, and one of the things that I also love is how at, like further along as you go and watching you get more, experimental and playful and in like getting real cool with panel borders and layouts and stuff like that which i i love to see like really cool stuff how much of that sort of develops uh of your own or is it developing because you're working with collaborators consistently or is it just like how do you start to think about those types of things the weird panel stuff i mean well first of all that i think stems from a lot of quietly influenced, but especially because of Chris Pachalo's stuff, like in the issue you were talking about, issue four of this, he does some really interesting things with the um, negative space and the gutters. And later on in Generation X, there's this issue, or I think it's M is blowing bubbles and the bubbles frame a lot of the panels. And so I started introducing that sort of stuff where the the panels help the narrative of the story and help to tell it as opposed to just being a frame. And I started doing that a long time ago and then it was encouraged um, by editors and uh, by Jason and, the, and some of the Thor scripts. And so I just really ran with that. Russell, I'm curious about your, your kind of career progression because a fascinating thing about you that I only learned um, two months ago maybe, was that you've previously worked as a costume illustrator um, in the world of movies. Uh, and that is a, a favorite topic of Ryan and mine that we uh, annoy the show's producers with, where we just get sidetracked <laughs> and talk about that kind of stuff all the time. But can you talk a little bit about kind of where your interests originally started and then how that all progressed? Yeah. Um, I mean, I... I always loved comics ever since I saw the X-Men 90s cartoon and that got me into the comic books. Um, and I always wanted to draw comics. I didn't think I was necessarily good enough um, when I was in high school and college and really thinking of what I wanted to do career-wise. And so I had doubts that I could really make it doing comic book stuff. And I also, you know, I loved animation. I loved um, costume design, uh, concept art, graphic design. And I think a lot of artistic uh, kids feel that way where there's like a lot of different avenues you could go. And I wasn't really sure what the best fit would be. So I tried a bunch of different things. And yeah, I very briefly worked um, in on some movies and doing uh, costume illustration, which is where you work for the costume designer and you do their sketches for them. So the designer will say, okay, this is the, this is the helmet and this is the jacket. And I'm thinking something like this belt, but maybe make it a little more like this and these shoes and, um, you know, these pants. And then you put it together on a, a person in a pose and you, are basically trying to sell it to the director or the producers. And um, and that was really fun to be in that environment and to be working on those movies. And that actually gave me some confidence in my 
drawing because I had been focusing a lot on the design side and on the illustration side too and just doing it so much I got a bit more comfortable and um, thought I should really give comics a shot and that's kind of when I migrated over. What was your first professional work? Like what was that? Was it for us? Was it for another um, publisher? Comic wise, my first um, professional thing was a series called Superbia for Boom Studios. Um, the, the premise was basically uh, desperate housewives, but superheroes. So it was <laughs> all of the um, spouses and kids and significant others of the superheroes and how they got all involved in the that world. And I did that for a couple of years. And then I did a two issue fill in arc of Nightwing for DC. And then I moved over to Marvel with um, Greg Rucka's Cyclops solo series. I did three issues of that. And then I was on Jane Foster Thor, you know, for 25 years. And now we're here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I remember you doing Cyclops and then someone I hope I'm not talking out of school, but someone was like, oh, yeah, he's being stolen off of Cyclops. He's We, we need him for, <laughs> for, for something else. Because uh, I was talking to, to some editor of like, yeah, man, he's really good. This book looks, you know, this book has been great and it's a lot of fun. And, and he's like, yeah, he's he's not on it anymore. And I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> yeah. cool. Yeah, I was uh, um, I plucked off that by Will Moss. I have to thank for the Thor job. No, yeah. the great Will Moss. Mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm also curious because you mentioned earlier about your giant size X-Men issue. Can you talk a little bit about what that was like as to kind of work as a storyteller alongside Jonathan Hickman on that story, given where you started, given where, where kind of generation X stands in, in your timeline? Yeah. Um, the X-Men stuff I've been doing is just, and especially the giant size Gene and Emma is just a dream come true for me. Really. It's, um, I was so excited. And like you said, to be part of this new wave of X books with, that Jonathan and all the collaborators have ushered in, I think it's, um, it's one of those kind of milestone eras of X-Men, you know, all new, all different, new X-Men, Grant Morrison, Age of Apocalypse, this, it, it feels big and special and I'm really glad to be a part of it. Um, but yeah, it was awesome because I, I had signed up. It was originally supposed to be an, an annual, uh, an X-Men annual that, that turned into these giant size series. And um, I, they asked me when we were starting to get going, you know, what characters I wanted to draw and what sort of story I wanted to tell because they wanted these to be more artist driven, these one shots. And I was totally surprised by that and thrilled. And I never thought I'd get to have any sort of input other than you know the drawing <laughs> part um and so i said that i would love to um have the story focus on gene gray and storm because they're my favorite characters ever and uh i suggested emma because i thought that'd be a great uh, third character and i said you know that new x-men 121 the silent issue by um grant morrison and frank quitely was my favorite comic of all time. And I listed a whole bunch of things I liked about it. And I said, you know, maybe we could do something like that that just focuses on a couple characters and maybe has some, you know, more fantastical elements in it. And then Jonathan came back and said, you know, why don't we do our version of that? 
you know, do an homage to it. And he came up with a story that I loved. And, and then Matt really just completely killed it with the colors. And I'm just so thrilled with how it turned out. Really, really thrilled. That's so cool. I freaking love that. Uh, you mentioned Gene and Storm. Uh, who are some of your other favorite characters to draw that you, you know, you love to do, whether it's for funsies or, <laughs> you know, for work? Um, you know, I, X-Men wise, I love Rogue and Nightcrawler and Mystique, um, M from Generation X. Um, and I've really uh, come to love, you know, a lot of the Thor characters having drawn them for a long time, you know, Jane Foster Thor, it's always a, a treat to get to draw her um, as Thor, as Valkyrie. I love drawing Loki. Um, yeah, Volstagg is really fun too. <laughs> I love your Volstagg is, he is voluminous and it's great. Yes, <laughs> with his glorious beard. Yeah. That is so awesome. So we are talking about issues one through four of the 1994 Generation X series. First issue of which releases on September 13th, 1994. Created by Scott Lobdell and Chris Pachalo. Art by Chris. Inks by Mark Buckingham. Colors by Buccioletto and Electric Crayon. Letters by uh, Starkings and Comicraft. And the thing that really got me as I started to read this was like a warm nostalgia for Richard Starkings and Comicraft uh, lettering. Um, it was such a, like a major part of Marvel comics in the nineties that I, you know, we, we haven't really had that lettering style in our books in a while. And it just like, it was like, Oh, I'm home again. It felt so nice uh, in a weird way. I don't know if anybody else has that weird connection to lettering that I do, I guess it's just me. Well, this, I love the stylization of, like, I'm looking at the first page of the first issue where it says Generation X in third Genesis. And the I love the lettering there. Like, it's it kind of mimics the logo a little bit. And mm -hmm. I just love it. The poster I have of Generation X actually is mostly lettering because it's all of Chris Pachalo's character designs. But it's this graphic thing where it has all their names and, you know, different uh different orientations and it's a really great blend of the art and the lettering which i think the comic does really well too is it um do you have are you looking at it on marvel unlimited or uh trade paperback the i'm looking at the comic in um marvel unlimited um is it what's in the back because the the last couple pages of that first issue are the character designs uh that is the most 90s design ever and i freaking love it so much i love that very much it is those drawings but not as um kind of psychedelic <laughs> as that it's just the straight colors you know the like what you'd give to someone to actually draw it um not as 90s fives the back of the thing but still awesome looking at this first issue this is the first time I've read these four issues. It was really, really interesting to me, especially considering the fact that I think I got to know Chris Pachalo's art in an entirely different like Pachalo era, um, uh, where he his work is just so utterly different um, uh, over the past couple of years, or even more than that. Than than this. This is you know I think a little bit more traditional in certain ways. Not to downplay how incredible it is and how special it is because it really really is. But Russell, I was curious. Are you cognizant of your own uh, transformation or 
call it maturation maybe. I don't know what Chris would call how his art has changed over the years. Are you aware of that kind of thing? Are those deliberate choices at times or is that just kind of what interests you as time goes by? A little of both, I guess. Um, you know, earlier on, especially with the, the Boom Studio stuff, I was doing a more cartoony style, you know, purposefully. And um, I was trying to get work at, at Marvel at the time. And I was doing a lot of portfolio reviews and things. And a lot of the feedback I was getting was that, oh, like, this is good, but I don't know what book this would be on or, you know, whatever, that the style might be limiting. And so I did make a conscious push to be a little more realistic. Um, but after that, you know, it's sort of, I've been trying to blend in more of the cartoonier stuff lately and uh it's just been kind of an evolution and like like during in the middle to late run of thor i started looking at a lot of um in a fairy tale illustration and jc Decker and um like 20th century illustration and stuff and the way they did fabric was very flowy and it was um and I integrated that in. And so then my sort of hair and the, the capes and everything became a little bit different than I had been drawing them before. And I don't know that that's a big change that anyone would really notice, but that's just like a little thing that, that happens, you know, every so often. I want to go back to Mplate a bit and as well as the first time we meet uh, Chamber and like the... The style here, you know, one, this book doesn't look like any other X-Men book that's going on at the time. It's it's so cool. It's, there's something so brilliant and unique and like slightly off about it. And then you take the things that they're doing with Chamber and Mplate. And I don't, I don't even know how to describe that style properly, but I look at it and it immediately makes me think of Mark Buckingham's work on Miracle Man. And how he, as a as an inker, comes in and influences some of that like weird darkness, and then you mesh that with Chris's work, and it's there's nothing else like it. Some of those pages and panels are brilliant. I'm looking right now. It's the first page that Chambers on where he's pulling down um, the scarf a little bit. And first, I just think it's brilliant that in the second panel of that page, the first time you see Chamber is just the silhouette of his spiky, sort of swirly hair. And then the lower panel actually reminds me almost of Bill Sienkiewicz, like mm -hmm. New Mutants era. And yeah. I wondered if that was an influence on this since this was, um, you know, the successor to New Mutants or something. But it just has this brilliant um, sort of alternative quality but still cartoony and it conveys emotion so well and it's really moody with the use of shadow and the scratchy inking um there with chambers face there almost looks cracked which you know probably is based on his powers but i, I just it's brilliant there is that like you mentioned there's that little sinkevich there's those little notes that it maybe it's just a, a similar era but that I, I had the same exact thought. It was really interesting. And um, maybe it manifests itself more broadly just as these little dips into the kind of psychedelic or weird. 
um, as we go through, whether that's a character design like Mplate or whether that's which which is so fascinating because at times the lines are so clean and so uh, refined, and then other times it's a little scratchier and a little bit stranger. Um, uh, and it, you know, it, it brought me to thinking of a almost like a close read of Russell Dodderman art and what uh, you know I something that I I love specifically in in your work with Matt Wilson one of the best colorists in the biz is those moments where you guys dive into almost a psychedelic something that honestly I don't even know how you literally put it on a page um, there's plenty of it in that the Gene and Emma um, uh, book uh, even just the co the cover of it and uh, I think it's something that maybe happened more and more throughout Mighty Thor. Um, it, it, do you have a, an affinity for that kind of more maybe avant-garde or harder to define type of art that you like to inject in it? Or is that just something that is merely demanded by the story? Or do you find yourself often kind of pulled towards the more like realistic take on things? Oh, no, I love that sort of fantastical I had a feeling stuff. Yeah. I had a feeling yeah. I mean yeah. The, <laughs> yeah. the you mentioned the the cover the Gene and Emma cover like oh that was the background of that was so fun to do the sort of weird anything that can be loose and where I don't have to play or stick too close to um anatomy or perspective or any of that the, the there's that page in Gene and Emma where they're um entering Storm's mind and the swirl where they're swirling downward and like the composition of that and the swirls, you know, based on the quietly page. And then I thought I could do these, um, these glowing lines where you see their faces normally. And then the lines sort of devolve into these very cartoony, very weird looking, um, versions of those, uh, figures. And I loved doing that. And that's very much, I think what I love about a lot of this generation X stuff with, um, yeah, Pachalo and Buckingham and there's so many little things in this um I don't know if you'd noticed but on a lot of the the hands like the little um joints in the, where the fingers bend it's just a little curly circle thing and like who would think to make that the but that's kind of what it looks like but not really but to just make that the um the drawing there and the little there's also those little swirls in the background sometimes just to add interest or squiggles coming out of the lightning it's so stylized and i really respond to that and i you know i jump at any opportunity that i can put stuff like that into to my work too yeah it's uh all those little t touches are amazing I, the swirls also are something that you see kind of in the uniforms which is something i'm a big like i love characters with cool costumes and individualized but also when you give me a team and you got uniforms and there's something to them that's so cool what what do you what do you um what's your stance on on uniforms particularly this one which i think is so different from any other x-men uniform yeah the red which was a really bold choice you know at the time um i love that uh i love the the primary color scheme the the red, yellow, and the, that pop of blue in the belt works so well. Um, and I, it, it's amazing. I wonder what the process was because it works so well with Jubilee's yellow coat. I wonder if that was like a starting point. I guess most X-Men 
team uniforms use the yellow, but um, yeah, I love it. And I also, um, I really love Emma's design here. Um, it's as if like the jacket and pants were her attempt at being slightly more appropriate for a school <laughs> setting. Um, even though she's, it's still very Hellfire and still very her, uh, but I love it. I, I did the, um, the, I designed her costume for the giant size issue and it's very much inspired by this look, trying to take this silhouette and incorporate some of the other iconic bits from her costumes and um, put it into that. But yeah, I love these costumes. I think they're so great. The, just from this first issue, I feel like it's that thing of great concision in storytelling. Uh, and I think, you know, there is such a, like a plethora to examine and look at from an art perspective. And then from a writing perspective, I think it is so, so well done where you just get to know these characters right away, their place in this book and in this team. Was there a book that, or was there a character that you remember when you were first reading that you kind of instantly felt a kinship with or, or felt a, a favoritism towards? I mean, I, I really loved all of these kids um, growing up. I think, I mean, I loved, um, Chamber and I loved M and Penance. Um, I think in this first issue, a standout character is Husk, just because of how gross and weird her <laughs> powers are. And because she's, um, I think the first, yeah, she's the first character that we see in the issue and she kind of has a, a moment at the end that's important. But just that scene where she was running at the beginning and then she's all sweaty and gross and she just rips off her skin <laughs> to reveal like clean skin underneath. Like I, like a lot of the, you've seen a lot of X-Men powers over the years, but few that are that gross, I think. Um, and she just leaves her skin there just on the ground. <laughs> True police, like, are you going to pick this up? I love that. That made a big impression on me. It, it it is something like this whole team. Most of the team is so weird. You know, skin weird. has six feet of extra skin, which is kind of prehensile that he has you know control over. Uh, Mondo, I like, I kind of get his powers. He's not introduced much in this first arc, uh, or like penance. You know, and then if you start to what if you like listeners, I suggest keep reading into this uh, series because. It gets wild with what's going on with M and Penance and M plate and stories bonkers. But to have like a character like Chamber who's literally missing like his jaw and like most of his chest because it's just blown off, you know, when these powers manifested and Penance who, you know, doesn't speak and no one can touch her because her skin is razor sharp and, you know, skin. Um, you have a lot of characters who are would be seen as sort of monstrous by you know regular people and you know i i think that's great to have you know those characters on the team and it adds a, another level to the whole mutant thing as opposed to just being visually interesting like and plate with his the teeth coming out of his hands and the gas mask thing oh, it's so creepy so gross <laughs> so gross <laughs> yeah uh, I want to move on to the second issue here um, because the second issue, it's the I think it's the the first page is a wonderful splash page of 
um, sync and Jubilee in the rain and it's really cool. And then you turn and you get this double page uh, sort of sort of splash divided a little bit by two panels and it's nuts. The like the Scrabble pieces giving us the title. But the thing that always gets me is the leaves and the coloring mm-hmm. of the leaves and the way it's drawn and like the way that the, the rain is bouncing off of Gateway. I just like I want to I wish I could find the original art to that and just look at it and see like what that looks like before all this. It's just amazing. I'm glad you mentioned the colors on the leaves because that was, um, you know, something I thought about when I was reading this too. Is they're just so vivid and interesting, and it's, um, you know, I think the first base choice and probably what I would have thought to do is to make them all, you know, orange <laughs> and yellow leaves. But they're all, you know, they're magenta and green, and they pop so much off the page. But also going back um, just to the cover of issue two. This is one of my favorite um, covers. Uh, I well, I love any cover where it's you know a team shot and like kind of posing and looking awesome. But um, the colors on this, the the green grass against the bright red of Penance pops so much, and the you know bright yellow logo. This feels so '90s to me in the best way, like with these really vibrant colors, and the incredibly energetic uh, shadow with the little splatters you know coming off of it that's something that's um there's actually a a marauders cover coming up that hasn't been uh released yet where i did a shadow that's very much inspired by that um trying to get that sort of creepy energetic vibe this covers yeah this is one of my favorites that's so awesome i i love hearing your insights on the minutia of work like this because you know ryan and i sit here we read every single book every single week but it, it does take a, a, a an artist eyes sometimes um for me to, to to really see those fine details that are so cool one of my favorite things that i love about that first kind of big page with the credits and everything is I, it feels like there's a wide angle lens on gateway there which i think is just such an interesting choice and it's something that I think overall, it continues to strike me about reading this, which is it really feels like Pachala chooses his moments. You know what I mean? He really picks his moments when to exaggerate, when to make a choice um, that is a little bit unusual, a little bit different, because it, it actually, it somehow manages to enhance those things in a way and it really makes them stand out even more. And it, and it gives you, you know, I think maybe even subconsciously makes you lean in a little bit more. A question I have for you, very simple. When you pick up a script and it says it's raining this whole issue, do you like that? Or is that annoying? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I actually like it um, because I work digitally. And so I, um, and I have brushes, like I have a, few brushes that look like rain and so I just put a new layer on top and I put and it's actually the most fun thing because <laughs> the brush does you know most of the work and um and then you know Matt likes it because that's really easy for the rain to, to color it because you just you know drop a color in on that separate layer but, yeah yeah um but yeah I like it if we ever see a, a cover 
of yours that is rain we know uh exactly what's going on also you could do a whole series of rain variants for us <laughs> and uh it, it could just be like the simplest uh way to do them i'll do it <laughs> <laughs> it would certainly be a lot easier than um having to draw each you know individual yeah. raindrop yeah. but talking about what you were saying about the um the wide angle lens on um or the fisheye lens on gateway it kind of mimics what's happening with the building next to it like that building is yeah. so curved and interesting looking that it adds to the the drama of that scene you know it makes it a bit more ominous and, and scary and um it works so well with the the rain and the lightning to convey the sense that you know bad things are happening um as you know penance has uh, arrived and uh things aren't going so well yeah something that you know the leaves that we talked about they actually continue on throughout the issue which i think is a nice touch that connects different parts as they're they're outside they're running around and the leaves with the colors and everything it's it's a beautiful little bit that um is a thread throughout it but another thread that I think I want to say happens through a lot of Chris's work are frogs. Mm -hmm. So there's um, at least one frog in this issue. I know there's one in three. There might be one in four. I don't know if there was one in the first issue, but I know I've seen him draw frogs before. And I just, I love that kind of little stuff. Do you have any little things that you try to like sneak into your books? Like that, you know, just that you do on your own. Hmm. Um, I'm blanking. I don't, none that come to mind. I'm usually just so, you know, focused on trying to make it. Sure. Whatever this is a bluff. The script and this whatever. is a bluff. He just doesn't want to tell us. He doesn't want to, he doesn't want to reveal yeah, it's it. It's actually a, a secret thing. You'll have to go back through all my work and try to piece it together yeah. for yourself. Go, go buy everything Russell's ever drawn. You'll find the secret hidden donuts that he has. Uh, there you go. In the comics. Something that I love in this, because this is such a moody issue, just in terms of like the visual tone, um, and there are one or two great moments where it happens in issue one as well. I just love a good sound effect, like lettering choice. Um, one of my favorite things in comics, uh, if I were to break it down, I'm always kind of curious, like where the line is drawn between this is a crocoon that the artist is going to do versus maybe the letterer um things like that and do you do you you know i think there was a fair number of those in mighty thor especially what are, what are your thoughts on that generally in terms of how you work and and then just like your enjoyment of them maybe yeah um i draw most of those um if i didn't draw it it's because it was added at the last minute after the art was done um so if they're in the script or if you know i think it needs it I'll draw it in. Um, and, you know, the, I'm doing, or I did the another giant size issue, um, the Starring Storm, that's coming out uh, in September. And so obviously there's some cracoons in there, um, and one that I'm uh, really excited about that I, you know, worked into the background of a page. And I just, I love doing that because I think it's, just a part of the composition, you know, it's graphic design. And it, when you're coming up with what the page should look like, it can only help it if you incorporate those things, just like the panels, like we were talking about, you know, making them kind of help with the narrative, 
having the um, sound effects help. And then the cool thing is then Matt colors them. And so they work with his color palette. Um, and there are you know other times you don't really need that. Like I'm looking at the this page in um, issue two of Gen X where you know, Penance is broken out of the um, the medical bay and Jubilee's lighting up the room with her uh, fireworks and there's all these little pops and pips and things as the fireworks burst. And that's brilliant. Like that works so well and it looks amazing. Um, and that's something that, you know, I, I'm pretty sure the letter did that. Um, and it's fantastic and uh, it works with the composition because it's following the path of the where the fireworks were already. So yeah, it can work both ways, but I always like to um, to put them in if I can. I need to seize upon that because in the aforementioned interview that you did with Ben, you talk about a splash page of Storm in Uncanny X-Men 302, and you list mm -hmm. that as a big inspiration for you and uh, uh, something that even sticks with you to this day makes me even more excited. Is that the Johnny for... Jr. page story? Yeah, and it's not just a splash page. It is a double page vertical spread. Oh my so God, you're right. Where you have to turn yes, the comic yes. to see it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's so amazing. Oh. Um, John Romita Jr. and Storm standing there like with wind behind her and cape and hair everywhere. Yep. That was the first comic book I remember reading and like that's what I opened up to. So I've been a fan ever since. <laughs> I can close my eyes and see it. It's, it's like, so I know, oh, man, awesome. hell yeah. Uh, so good. You know, I, I, I'm moving into continuing to talk about Generation X. And one of the things about this arc is that issues two and three just feel like one one issue to me. Mm -hmm. You know, like it, there's, there is a, you know, a, a point where they, they cut and, you know, obviously that's how the sequential medium of comics works a lot of times. But there's some that just feel so like seamless in you're going from one issue to another. Like this one continues the leaf theme. It continues uh, the battle outside. It, it builds the on a scrabble. lot of relationships, the scrabble, like every, yeah, that the, the, um, the husk and skin stuff is really sweet and funny and kind of, you know, like I, I feel like skin is a lot older than her, but like, it's also just an innocent, sweet thing there. Everything about this book freaking rules. I loved it so much. They're really great. Um, you know, that these first four issues aren't so much of an arc as they are, you know, just shorter adventures and character building stuff where you're, um, it's letting us get to know the kids and establish their relationships with each other. And like that Scrabble game with, um, uh, skin and husk is so great with their their banter about um country mouse and city mouse um and how you know there's a bit in in this issue where skin doesn't want to go with the team to hunt down penance and he like kind of makes up some excuse about why he needs to stay back and whatever and and um husk kind of calls it out when they're having their one-on-one -on -one later and like oh were you afraid you know that she might cut your skin because it's, you know, loose and, you know, whatever. And he kind of brushes that off. But of course, that's what he was afraid of. And it, um, you know, just shows their bond forming a little bit there and a little bit of trust between them. I think it's great. 
Yeah. The, this issue also ends, um, as does issue number four, with a, like a fourth wall breaking moment of a character talking to the reader, which I love. And it, I, I don't remember how much that continues on past this, but it's it's such a fun little beat and it like makes you so eager to see what's coming next. I think that's such a fun, effective tool. I know there's um, in the issue, I don't know what number it is, but when... Uh, Chris Pachala leaves the book. His last panel, it, it's a little caricature of him. Paras- I think he's parachuting, and it's like a word balloon that, where he's saying goodbye to the reader or something like that. I need to look that up, but they do do some of that fourth wall breaking stuff. Um, but I also wanted to point out uh, the last page of issue two. Um, the last panel, I think, is just fantastic. It's um, they found Penance and she's uh, kind of attacking Banshee and she has her talons kind of in his mouth so he can't scream and you know defend himself. And it's framed in this way where her hand is so big in the foreground, really menacing in the claws and you just see Banshee between her fingers. Um, I think that does such a great job of showing how powerless he is and how scary Penance is. And it's a real edge of your seat kind of thing for the next issue. Um, Is there anything else you wanted to point out in uh, issue number three before we move on to number four? There's the weird interlude with Mondo and Cordelia, who, can I say, ends up being, I mean, that's Emma's sister, right? But I always like... I never really understood what was going on between them, and I still don't. So I guess I just read the rest of it. <laughs> I mean, Mondo just wants to chill. Like, I guess, wants yeah. to <laughs> sit and be. And like, hey, she wants to sit with him? Great. She doesn't? Fine. He's going to be Mondo. I love hey, Mondo. It works so for great. me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. So we move into number four, which is the uh, Christmas issue, the holiday issue of sorts. Um, which is released December 13th, 1994. Uh, this one, this one is, is sort of stuck in my brain as, uh, I don't know if it's like a prototypical issue of generation X, which it not necessarily is, but it's when I think of this run and these creators on it, particularly Chris, I think of what he does with the weird little characters like the Santa and the elves and the weird people things, little chubby people around the borders and like him doing extra stuff like that's what i think about with this book it's like chris is just doing so much extra and getting you like thinking about what's going on while still keeping you completely in line with the storytelling of uh of what he's doing and it's it's so much fun and this issue is a heartbreaker but also so fun and again like that like you were saying russell it's it's all about character building right here I mean, those are little elves, right? Is that what you th- what you guys thought they I, were? Well, so, so some of them, I think, but then like there's there's like some of them are just like snot running down their nose, and <laughs> I don't, I've, you know, I don't know if if there's rhyme or reason or if I'm just overthinking it. And you're right, they are just elves. Yeah. Oh, well, I didn't really know, um, but I love them. And my favorite thing that they do is. Um, I don't know what page it is, but it's halfway through the issue and they have like a sign that says how many pages you've read and how many pages um, you have left to read pointing in, you know, the appropriate directions. It's so strange and amazing. Um, 
I love them. They're unexpected and fun. I think it just does, it typifies that thing that I love to see sometimes. And it really just ultimately feels so refreshing um, when you're reading a book uh, and there is a twist on the form itself in a way. Um, I think there was an, a relatively recent issue, Ryan, this might, I, I can't, you might be able to remember better than I, of Miles Morales, where I think he's been kidnapped and he's like being tortured. And the entire book is these huge, all black gutters and the actual kind of panels only take up maybe, you know, half of the of each page and they might even shrink as the story goes on um i can't re- i can't really remember i can't even remember if that's the current run or the 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 previous run of miles but i love it uh, that, the torture stuff is is from saladin and, and javier and their yeah run. yeah yeah right um it, it, it it's it's funny in a way i mean I, there is a certain kinship with this story with that because of the kind of like fun christmasy like uh, like bells in the background, the like wrapping paper, I guess. And then when the orphan maker shows up and kind of, again, like we were talking to like bursts through the page and then that wrapping paper just doesn't show up for the rest of the story. <laughs> and it's just like, okay, fun's over. Um, something, you know, is going down now is, is so cool. And I, I, again, it's just, it's that playing with the form and playing with whether you, are actively thinking about it or not as you're reading the fact that it's there and it's really um it's really impactful i I just think it's so fun i love the i love just any kind of risk taking like that in, in in a book one other thing um that i loved in this issue is the scene between chamber and penance um where he brings her the apple slices um i love it's just a really like great character building thing between the two of them that um, plays into, I guess the thing we didn't talk about in the last issue that I, I loved too was how like no one on the rest of the team is getting through dependence and then Chamber is the one that, you know, talks to her and um, he says, what does he say? He says, being mutants has clearly cost us. And he says, you know, the word he uses is monsters to describe them. And so it links the two of them together as, you know, people that, you know, are really having a hard time being mutants and can't really integrate into society as well as some of the others. I thought that was just a wonderful touch and it's um, such a simple thing in issue four to just have him bring her the apples and it's just a little two page sequence, but I think it works really well. Yeah. Those sweet moments. Um, I, I want to shout out uh, the glory that is Nanny and Orphan Maker, uh, two of mm-hmm. my favorite weird X-Men villains uh, created by uh, Walt and, or Louise and Walt Simonson back in X-Factor. And they're just, it's just so odd and so fun and twisted. Uh, now, if any of our listeners um, aren't reading the Hellions book, they're, they're in Hellions and it's, it's and Nanny has like in that book she has her lipstick that I think looks so weird and so amazing. <laughs> it's it's so it's great. so good. This issue also has some of that horror that we had talked about at the beginning uh, when you meet the Elliot character, the way he's drawn, the shadows, the line work, the scratchiness, uh, and then there's the one panel is like up close on him. Um, 
man it's yeah i don't know if it's the the panel that you're talking about but the one i'm looking at um now it's after uh you know when jubilee um is talking to him and it's framed and cropped and with the shadows in such a way that it's mostly the part of his face that well i mean the the premise of the character is that he has some medical issues that make him look different and um this panel is framing mostly the part of his face that, you know, looks like most other kids. And it's also a really tender moment in the, the script too. And I think it's just really expertly done. And I love the, the thing about him is that, you know, he's not a mutant, but he's still someone who's hated and feared for being born different. And, you know, that's, you know, what the X-Men are all about. And it comes at that, metaphor from a different angle which i thought was interesting russell it, it, that is such a a that was a bit really striking thing to me as we land these four issues because uh, like as we mentioned this is a very weird very fun fourth issue but it still has the mo those moments that are pure x-men that are just like so grounded so real and it really just in so short a time gets at what kind of just makes the mutant so special. I'm curious, is there a mutant that you love that you haven't had the opportunity to draw yet that you would most love to? Uh, well, there's two. One um, is Rogue, who I've just drawn on a couple covers. Um, What's your favorite Rogue look? <laughs> oh, the Jim Lee 90s, the, the jacket. <laughs> the jacket? It's, yeah. That's, I mean, a close well, close second is her Age of Apocalypse um, with the short hair and the cape, the Joe Maderera design. Um, I love that too. Um, the Another favorite character of mine that I haven't got to draw at all professionally is Nightcrawler. Um, I love oh, him. Oh, wow. So. I need it. Yeah. I need to see someday. it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to wrap up our Generation X talk here by talking about the madness of the last page and everything that's going on. You as a reader, a young reader, who did you so did you pick up Generation X with number one from the start or did you I, go back? I didn't get it. I don't think with number one, I probably got number one through four or, you know, whatever at, at once. But sure. I I'm pretty sure I got to this page and had no idea what was happening. <laughs> Yes, which is, I love it because uh, this is, so you get a new book that is beautiful and amazing and weird, and then four issues in, it is the end of reality for it, and uh, the next issue doesn't appear for five months because they go into the Age of Apocalypse, and Generation X becomes Generation Next, and I remember talking to Mark Buckingham last year or the year before, uh, which eventually we'll release on This Week in Marvel or here on Marvel's Pull List. Uh, I was talking to him about his work here and how he would get, he got pages, he would have been doing one through four, he got pages for the next issue to ink over Chris's work. And he's like, where, where are my beautiful kids? Where's Generation <laughs> X? What is this? He just got this, these new things. And it was this big surprise for him as well uh, as the world changes quite literally um which i think is 
so weird, but I love the way they handle it here with Jubilee reading a letter from Marvel editorial breaking the fourth wall as the McCran crystal does what it does across all the X books at this point that were involved and just crystallizes and the world changes. It's wild. Yeah. She's like, generation next. What is this crap? <laughs> I love that one. Yeah. Uh, and then we got a frog here, the frog <laughs> holding the yes. closed for renovation sign. Uh, spot the frog. The Santa hat. Yep. It's so good. It's crazy. And this is such a um, great contrast. This last page of generation X to when the X-Men, the same thing was happening in the main X-Men book when they the MCON crystal was taking them over and it was so dramatic and everybody was giving all these goodbye speeches <laughs> and like crying and you know kissing your loved ones. And I think Rogan Gambit had their first kiss then. And then Jubilee's like, what? And then there's a frog. <laughs> it's so good. It's tremendous. It's great. Um, yeah, so anybody who's reading these and is like, wait, where... What 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 do I do next? Uh, you can read the entire giant Age of Apocalypse uh, storyline, or just go into Generation X number five, and you're you're gonna be perfectly fine. That was Generation X. Russell, thanks for bringing us back down this road and for introducing this book to Tucker. Um, it's it was great. It was really. Oh, fun. had you never read it? Yeah, it's my first time. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, what an experience. Thank you. Yeah. I would also, I was just, as we were, we were chatting here, I was like, what, because the cover to number five is so good, and it's like, the kids go to New York City, uh, like, keep reading it, Tucker, everybody else keep reading it, <laughs> this book is a lot of fun, there's a lot of, like, really cool stuff to, to, to start thinking about, especially after hearing you talk about it, Russell, of, like, from an artist perspective, it's freaking great, it's, it's really good, so thank you for joining us on this one. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, what's the next project that uh, we can talk about? I know you've got covers for some Ten of Swords stuff coming. You mentioned a Marauders cover, uh, another one. Anything else we can tell people to look out for? Yeah, I'm, um, I'm still the cover artist for Marauders, and I'm doing a bunch of other covers now. And then the next um, interior thing is Giant Size X-Men Storm, written by uh, Jonathan Hickman, um, art by me and Matt, uh, coming out in September. Can't wait. Thank you so much, Russell. Thanks, Russell. Yeah, thank you. Take care, guys. Just the coolest, best, nicest person whose work I revere. Uh, so thanks again to Russell. That was the best. Yeah. Uh, that's a wrap for this show. This episode of Marvel's Pull List was produced by me, Ryan Panagos, Tucker Marcus, Jorge Estrada, and MR Daniel. Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. And Brad Barton is also a member of Generation X, but I believe his uniform is just flannel. I'm Ryan. And I'm Tucker. And this is Marvel. Your Universe.